right. Welcome. Thank Today you. I have Lauren Nigren of Cherry Creek Mortgage, which is now part of Guild Mortgage. Yep. Yes. Um, you can tell that story a little bit as we get into it. Um, a merger of sorts or an acquisition. <laughs> yeah. Not uncommon in the world these days. Okay. So we're doing something a little bit different today um, than we have on previous podcasts. I think we're up to seven or, or eight. I think six just got published. Um, and mostly I invite clients uh, who have been through the process with me just to share their experiences. But then I thought, you know what, I should have another voice here, um, and that is Lauren. Lauren and I have been working together for many years. I want to say like six or seven years. Yeah. Um, she is one of my go-tos as far as who I refer my clients to for great lending practices and great products and great rates. Um, and I think Lauren is going to have a lot, of, um, a lot of advice and a lot of some of the the backstory to what the loan and, and the mortgage world is all about. So so here's Lauren. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, one of the things John and I talk about often is just the lack of transparency that exists for the consumer. So totally can shed some light. Which is really interesting because on the real estate side, like everything is about transparency. Like the contract is transparency and the, like our whole role and everything we learn about when we're going through our licensing is like clarity. Um, but I don't like, and I don't know, is that like something that you guys are ingrained into? I think it's hard, you know, when it comes to lending so much is based on what's going on in the secondary market and the rates that we're presenting are a direct reflection of something that's so far behind the scenes that it's really hard for a customer to follow real time. Yeah. And mo and most like when you say secondary market, I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I know th nothing about it. And I'm not a finance guy. So um, some people understand that and other others others don't. <laughs> right. Yes. And when I say that, I'm referring to the mortgage-backed securities market. So right. the price that the consumer gets in terms of their interest rate is really a direct reflection of how mortgage-backed securities, which are bundled loans, uh, right. if you think of them that way, you know, are trading as bonds Got it. on the secondary market. Yeah. So there's a whole lot happening in the background. Um, than just like the rate that you see online when it says today's today's rates. And usually, correct me if I'm wrong, but those rates are like, you know, you have perfect credit, um, no other loans, no other debt, like all that kind of stuff. So they don't they don't always exist the way that they're marketed. Absolutely. And a lot of them are being presented with what we call points or discount fees. So, you know, when I get rate shoppers calling in, the first question they'll ask me is, you know, what's your rate today? Yeah. And my first question for them is, well, what rate do you want? Because <laughs> the reality is any rates available any given day, it's a matter of what you pay for it. Yes. And yes. we quote those buy down fees to lock in lower or below market rates as a percentage of the loan amount. Yeah. So when you see online that something's being quoted with one point, you're essentially paying 1% of your loan amount for that rate. Upfront. Upfront. Right. So if you have more cash, you can get a better rate, but is that cash better off in the bank or is it? And, and then you will do that scenario and show people like, how long do you plan to be in this property? And, and then do those numbers to show you, is it worth doing or not? Exactly. So, okay. you know, in an environment where we were two years ago, where the average interest rate was, you know, 3% paying no points, yeah. I was encouraging every customer to pay points because you're essentially then locking in a below market rate that you will never touch for the life of that loan. Right. So if you're in a primary residence that you plan to occupy for five plus years, 
paying points is one of the best things you could do. Um, in this environment, I'm not encouraging clients to pay points because right. I think there's going to be a natural refinance opportunity inside of nine to 12 months here. And the payback on that decision to pay points is generally four and a half to five years down the road. Right. So if you've paid it up front, you've kind of thrown that away and you're starting over again when you refinance. Exactly. Yeah. It's a sunk cost. Yeah. And- Sorry. So, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's back up for a second. So, you know, let's talk about the scenario of like, so I'm working with a client and they say, okay, what do I do? I gotta, I gotta get a loan. And I say, okay, you know, and I usually will give more than one name just because I don't want to force anybody into any kind of relationship. Um, and then, you know, what I normally tell people is, you know, talk to these lenders. They're all like, I've vetted them all and, and usually have worked with all of them personally and professionally. Um, it's really more about a fit. And do you like talking with this person and, and do you feel comfortable with it? You guys, I mean, there are some variations in what products you guys have, right? But, Definitely. But for the most part, like you're, you're just picking a person with a loan. Yeah. I'd say when it comes to a standard 30-year fixed-rate conventional loan, that's going to be a more standard product. Um, When we start talking jumbo or kind of niche qualification, then there's going to be a huge variation by lender. Yep. So, uh, and of course, naturally, we have clients who start running three paths at the same time. Mm -hmm. So they have three lenders working on locking them into a rate. Sometimes they've locked in with three different (laughs) lenders. And at some point, they have to break that relationship with with two of them because they can only they they only need one loan. So so add some add some color to like what, you know, what what's your opinion on like how how a consumer is shopping for a loan and at what point should they be making the decision? Should they be, you know, forthright and be like just want to let you know like I am talking to two other like at what point do they need to make these, you know, come clean? Great question. I'm glad you're asking. I wish more people ask this question. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, the shopping should be done upfront, right? Because your lender is going to give back to you the commitment that you give to them. So I really admire when a client calls in and says, hey, I'm early in the stages of looking for homes with John. He told me I need to get pre-approved. I'd love for you to help me through that process. And in full transparency, I'm going to get pre-approved with two other lenders, you know, and see what that looks like. At that point, you know, you have a really good basis to compare closing costs. You can kind of compare the advice the different lenders have provided to you and figure out who you really want to be part of your team in this process. Because the reality is we can't lock a rate until you're under contract anyway. Mm -hmm. But when you have those conversations up front, figure out who you want to be part of your team, who's responsive, who communicates in the way that you can understand and digest then you know we can be ultra responsive to you on evenings weekends yeah. running updated scenarios for every home that you think you may want to put an offer on yeah. um, and i really appreciate when clients kind of shop up front so that once you go under contract and kind of utilize my reputation and you know my proactive nature to help you go under contract that then we really hit the ground running and can start working towards you know a quick loan closing. So so important. I mean, and, and I always tell my clients like if you text me late at night and I'm up, I will respond. There are many people out there that just don't like no business after six p.m. or whatever their their cutoff is. But for me, I always think of it as like if I respond to this now, it's one less thing I have to do in the morning, and I won't forget. And so I do. Um, and sometimes I find myself on on a call at eleven o'clock at night, and it's just you know like I work when people work. So um, the the cat the I guess the the side note to that is 
the lenders that I refer, um, and Lauren especially, if I call her on Sunday evening um, and she doesn't answer, it's usually followed by a text, hey, I'm at dinner with the kids and I will call you back in 20 minutes. Um, and I, I don't know, it's just the business that we're in, that's the way it moves. Yeah, I and think. I think you know the same way that clients interview lenders, I'm often interviewing my clients because if rate is the only thing that's important to the client, yeah. then I might tell them like, hey, we aren't a fit because there's always gonna be a bottom of the barrel, you know, online lender that can probably get you the lowest rate, but are they gonna get you to the closing table on time? Yeah. And will they educate you on what your escrow account means? And you know, will they be responsive to you after closing? Yes. So I think getting to the heart of what matters the most to the client is really important. Yep. Um, as and, well. And and for those of you listening, take take note to the that what she said about getting to the closing table. So there there is a long history of especially bolder agents not wanting to work with online lenders because um, the reality is you get a loan number and an 800 number and any question or, or any condition that is sent to you is going to be at least a 24-hour turnaround. And so as the t- clock starts ticking and we get closer to closing and something comes up, you didn't get them some kind of document that they need or you can't get them a document that they need, um, you may end up losing your earnest money and not, not closing on the property. So um, that peace of mind is what comes with a local lender who has a name and, and a cell phone number. Yeah, and I think when you're competing up front to go under contract, let's say there's two identical offers in front of them, you know, one is using Rocket Mortgage and one has Cherry Creek Mortgage with an established reputation in the market, you know, that's going to play a factor into which offer the seller accepts. And in-house underwriting. Yes. So maybe talk about that a little bit too, because I know that saved a few deals of ours down, you know, down in the past. Um, what does it mean to have in-house underwriting? Yeah, so I think I'll start by just breaking down the different kind of types of lenders that exist. Um, so everyone's familiar with your traditional bank. A bank, you know, you might walk into your branch and there could be a loan officer that you're working with who's going to kind of facilitate the loan. But then they have processing and underwriting departments kind of nationally. Um, so your loan will then be sent to processing in Florida, off to underwriting in California. There's kind of a more extensive feedback loop that exists there. Um, we are what's called a correspondent lender. And let me interrupt you for one second, because yeah. I, I did do a deal with a Chase, and Chase, mm-hmm. and I've worked with Chase personally, and they do have underwriting and stuff going on here, but this particular client was working with a Chase lender out of a branch in Florida, mm-hmm. and then the underwriting department who was in Chicago called me and said, we need initials on all of the contracts. And I responded with Colorado does not require initials. Mm-hmm. There's just a blank there, but you know most of us don't fill them in. And they literally were going to terminate uh, the deal, like that, not process the loan unless we got signature or initials. So we had to send all the documents back out for initials, which then drives all the compliance people at both of the brokerages crazy because they're like, why are we updating these documents? Um, so. The yeah. struggle is real. Anyway. <laughs> good, good, good. Thank you. Um, proved my point for me. So nothing against banks, but essentially they're lending out of their own portfolio. If you walk into Chase, they're going to offer you you know, their 30-year fixed rate, their jumbo, what they can basically lend from their product suite. On the other spectrum, we have what is called a broker. Traditional brokers are going to take your loan application. Once they lock 
your loan. It'll be locked with a specific investor. And then that loan needs to be sent off to the investor for approval. So from the time they gather your documents, send that off, it could be a week and a half, two weeks before they get a response and potentially even a decline on the underwriting of that loan. Mm -hmm. At which point you're starting completely over and going to the top of the stack with your next you know, potential investor. We sit somewhere in the middle and work with what's called a correspondent lender, where we have the benefit of being able to send loans to any institution. We essentially have the highest level of accreditation with all of these different banks and investors to be able to underwrite and fund loans on their behalf, which essentially means that I can send a loan to any number of investors, but I have the exact same underwriter and exact same processor on every deal, and they both sit in the offices right next to me. Right, and the underwriter just has a list of all the checkboxes, right? So exactly. like they know that they're doing everything in compliance, nothing's ever gonna come back and haunt them. Um, they're just, they're underwriting it based on the criteria that, and, and usually based on Fannie and Freddie. Right? Yeah, so each bank, you know, especially when we're talking jumbo loans, you know, each investor has very specific guidelines. So the underwriter's job is to make sure that that loan meets the guidelines of that investor and can be transferred to them post-closing, but we don't have to wait for their response in any manner. Yeah. I can fund a Chase jumbo loan, Chase never has to underwrite it. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, it, it, it can simplify things and make things move really much faster and so and that would be a great segue into pre-qualification versus pre-approval yeah um, because being pre-approved by you and then having in-house underwriting I mean we can close in you know two to three weeks absolutely so I'm doing a lot of 14-day closes right now um, made super possible by the fact that a client can get not only pre-approved with me meaning that I've reviewed all their income and asset documentation up front to, de to determine what they qualify for uh, but we can take it a step further and actually pre-underwrite your loan. That means that with a TBD address, the underwriter will fully review that whole file and basically issue a loan approval that is contingent only upon the appraisal of the property. Yeah. So you can go into making an offer actually waiving all of your loan contingencies um, because you have the peace of mind of knowing that your loan's already approved. You can basically compete with a cash offer. If you waive your loan availability deadline, you're saying, hey, I'm not going to back out at the last minute due to an inability to get a loan. I am as good as cash. The caveat being appraisal. So, And if you're willing right. to cover the appraisal gap, then it truly is a cash offer. Absolutely. Although not all listing agents will see it that way. Yeah. Some, of them, some of them need a phone call from Lauren and, <laughs> and, and, and more explanation there. Because... All of these tactics, you know, as the market changes, um, become come into play, um, which is actually probably another good segue into the two-one buy-down, which we're, we're actually dealing with one right now potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so these are not new things, right? But things that we've never really had to leverage before because the market and interest rates had been so favorable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and just one other thing I wanted to touch on with the in-house underwriting is that, you know, once we have you pre-underwritten, you're not pigeonholed into one particular loan product. We still have a lot of flexibility. Um, so that said, you know, rather than waiting for a decline with one investor and then having to totally pivot, you know, we can use the same credit report and same loan application to even change investors mid-process. Interesting. Um, and to that point, you know, there are products such as the 2-1 buy-down or temporary buy-downs, we call them. Um, and we can have you pre-underwritten and pre-approved to use that program, but it doesn't mean you have to use it. A lot of my clients are using these temporary buy-downs right now, which essentially allow you to present an offer and negotiate a seller credit 
as part of the offer, we then use that credit to subsidize your loan payment in the early years of the loan, and you can have a starting rate that, for example, on a 2-1 buy-down is 2% below market for year one. It then adjusts to 1% below market for year two, and you don't get to your fully loaded payment until the beginning of year three. The real power here is that it increases purchasing power for you, the client, um, rather than adjusting your price range to get to that comfortable kind of payment um, load, you can actually afford more and let the seller pay part of your payment for you in those early years with the understanding that you can then refinance that loan at any point rates come down. Yep. And then, you know, a, a side note to that as well is that just because I've negotiated the 2-1 buy down for you and it's written into the contract, depending on how it's written into the contract, you don't necessarily have to use it. So if you are buying a property that you don't plan to be in for that long, but we use this as a negotiating tool to get the sellers to kick in 10, 20, 30,000 depending on what the price point is, you can, well, you can't pocket it, um, but you can use it towards all your closing costs. You can use it towards closing costs or prepaid items. Um, And then the beauty of it is that, you know, even if you, let's say, are only in the house for a year and you haven't fully utilized the seller credit towards that buy down, it's not a sunk cost. It goes back in your pocket in the form of principal reduction. So let's say you bought a house today. Today is that, you know, interest rate for your scenario would be 6.75%. If you have a seller credit that allows for a 2-1 buy-down, you're actually going to be starting with an interest rate of 4.75%. Yep. And if rates come down nine months from now and you refinance that loan, any unused part of that seller subsidy goes right towards reducing the principal balance on your loan. Yeah. So you're not out any cash. You're just you know simply using it over the early years. Yeah. So lots, lots, of, lots of tools, which is why the market, I think, has not just completely stalled out. Like... There are people getting creative and there are lenders getting creative and there's ways to get things done. Um, I mean, we would look at the price history and I was just pulling comps. And lately I've been pulling comps all the way back to the beginning of 2022. And the reason is because I want to see that graph. I want to see when the prices dropped and when they started climbing again and where we are now, which is like another little, maybe like a little drop. Um, but it all, it, it all has to do with interest rates. So the higher the interest rate, the more of a concession you're going to get on the price. Um, right. But, you know, and then there's there's this cliche <laughs> phrase that's going around right now is, you know, marry the house, not the rate, because yeah. rates will change. Absolutely. Um, your rate won't change if you lock in on something, but interest rates will change theoretically and you can always refinance. Um, and then, and you guys are still offering the free refi at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So for all of our purchase clients, we're then waiving lender fees on the refinance transaction with, you know, that future transaction in mind. Um, we're trying to put the best kind of loan in place for the acquisition of the property and then hopefully help you put a more long-term solution in place during that refinance. Yeah. Um, I was actually just in a presentation yesterday with the head of capital markets for Guild. Um, one of the best things that came out of this merger is that you know we're still a small local company that just got absorbed by a large national company, one of the top you know two lenders I would say in the country in terms of size, um, you know, and quality. And so our head of capital markets sits on boards with you know Fannie Mae. He's in Washington D.C. every two weeks lobbying for you know changes that kind of impact real estate and finance and you know very bright individual um he was basically speaking on how the most powerful powerful financial tool we have is a 30-year fixed rate loan how cool is it to be able to lock in your cost of living for your life 
and know that it's never going to change. You always have the ability of making it go lower, but you're not subject to any increases. So even if you're financing your first house at 7%, like how cool is that? Like you are not subject to a landlord increasing your rent every year. Right. You're locking in your cost of living and you're going to be, you know, paying the balance down on that loan and gaining equity. So as long as you view real estate as a more long-term investment, you're going to make money. Yeah. I mean, and and I say that in, in Boulder, you know, if you, if you look at a macro view of, uh, values, you know, since the early 1900s in Boulder, it's just a straight line up. It's only when you really zoom in on specific years that you see these little little dips. Um, I mean, up until a couple of years ago, we were saying that you know Boulder never really even had a little dip, um, but we've seen a few over the last the last few years. Um, and yeah, certainly. You know, two of ten years, you might see you know small down periods, but. That really only materializes if you need to sell the asset, right? right? So if you're approaching it with a mindset of like, hey, I'm marrying this house, like this is where I want to live, this is what I want to invest in, you know, you're dating the rate, yeah. um, but it's going to be loyal to you. <laughs> it's not going to change. <laughs> no cheating. Yeah. No cheating. Property taxes will go up, you know, monthly costs maybe, but um, generally the, yeah, it's, you know, people who have invested in Boulder real estate have done very well. You know, we've okay. we've doubled in the last seven years. Absolutely, which is just kind of crazy to think about. Um, will it happen again? Is the big question, and that's why everybody's kind of walking around in circles right now and not wanting to make any decisions, especially in the higher price points. Right, and there yeah. are programs like John alluded to. You know, the temporary buy downs have been huge. I'd say nine of ten buyers right now are using that strategy. Um, but I'm always shocked, especially with clients that say they've spoken to a couple other lenders, how many haven't been educated on programs like that, yeah. um, that are going to help them, you know, get into this market and really take advantage. Yep. So I, you know, it just goes to, you know, reiterate that like working with somebody locally who really understands the market and what the strategies are and, and what, what we're dealing with in, in this, you know, pot of, of gold for for many you know like it's it's very different than markets in in other places and boulder acts way more like a big metro city than it does like a little little city up in the mountains you know yeah and i'd encourage you too to just ask your lender what proprietary loan programs they have because so many companies are getting really entrepreneurial in this type of market to come out with new programs to help people get into homes. So Guild just released a first-time buyer program that allows for 1% down. They're carrying a silent second mortgage at 2% um, to help people you know, that maybe don't have the down payment but have the strong income that allows them to purchase right now. Yeah. Um, so what's the, you, you've mentioned this to me in the past and yeah, I've actually thought about it. So what's the motivation on their side just like to continue volume basically yeah yeah, to create homeowners um, who are you know ideally customers for life so we're investing a lot in clients up front whether it's programs like that or you know credit rescores because so much of your interest rate is dependent on your credit score Um, when i get a client pre-approved early i'm not looking at do they have sufficient credit for lending i'm looking at do they have the best possible credit they could have for the best possible terms. Mm-hmm. So we can actually rescore you with all three credit bureaus. It comes at an expense of about $300 per bureau to us, but we don't pass that on to the client. Mm-hmm. We're purely just trying to position our clients to get the best rates and, and the best products. Is that magic number still 740? For a conforming loan, yes. Um, for jumbo loans, you're gonna get benefits all the way up to like an 800 credit score. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So work, work on that stuff and, and take, so there, there's lots of like, you know, webinars and stuff out there about, you know, doing better for your, I think you invited me to one a few years ago, which mm-hmm. was kind of eye opening and like, especially thinking about like my kids as they build credit, but like, you know, you got to have more than one credit card, but you shouldn't necessarily use more than one. Um, the other number two and three, you should use for one charge once a year and just keep it active. Um, so like interesting stuff like that will increase your scores. Yeah. And when it comes to jumbo financing, it's funny. We have a lot of people come to us really proud. They have 800 credit, but they've only ever had one credit card. Um, the reality is a lot of different banks and institutions require like a robust credit history yep. for a larger loan. So you have to have a certain number of trade lines to qualify. And those are the types of things where when I meet a client early, I can get them really set up for success by, yes. hey, let's open another credit card or, and you I, know believe you almost swooped in and saved a deal once where there was only one uh, trade line where there should have been two because it was a jumbo loan and the lender missed it up until like the last minute. Yeah, that one gets missed often. You'd be surprised. And the crazy thing about guidelines is they're changing so frequently. I think that's part of the reason there's not a ton of transparency to the client is because nobody wants them to be able to go online and say, oh, this is exactly the documentation required and these are the minimum requirements because based on demand and what institutions have to lend, they're constantly changing those. Yeah. So, and I was just going to say, like, so these are the things that make a good lender good and and what makes some other lenders not necessarily, not that they're bad, but they just may not be paying attention, right? So what, what are, you know, for somebody out there who's just about to jump into this, like, what, what should they be looking for? Other than a friendly voice on the other side of the phone because nobody really meets each other anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest joys I have are just like squashing misconceptions that clients have, right? Because a lot of them have spoken to their parents and are of the mindset that you need 20% down payment or you're going to avoid mortgage insurance at all costs. Just, I think, being open-minded is the first step and kind of most important piece of advice that I can give. Yeah. Um, because like I said, these programs are changing all the time. So, you know, finding a lender to maybe three to talk to and just really being willing to kind of listen and get that advice yeah. um, will set you up for success because online resources, while they're great and super accessible, there's a ton of misinformation out there. And I find that a lot of clients that do a lot of research online first come to me and tell me what program they need. And I'm yeah. like, that's great. I know you think you need an FHA loan, um, but let's look at these other programs as well. Right. Yeah. And I, so a word that you're not using and that, that I use is trust. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very hard to like, even if you've been referred to somebody by another person, like trust is really, really important. Um, so I had a client on, on the podcast a while back who, when, when I asked her, like, what, what was, and she had been interviewing other, uh, other brokers and, um, I, I don't remember how, how we got into it, but the, the net of it was the reason why she decided to go with me is because when she said, what's the one thing, um, that, uh, that either we should do or shouldn't do. And I, and I said, you should trust me. Um, which I know is a really big ask, like, hey, trust me, I know you don't know me, but like, trust me. But like, to her, that was the deciding factor that like, I was willing to just kind of put it out there and be like, 
if 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 you move forward with me and you don't trust me, it's not going to go well. You have to trust that I have your back and that we're working towards the same goal. Um, and I'm guessing it, it's the same, right? It and, is, yeah. And actually, this is something I don't often share with clients, but I think it might help clients to understand how their loan officer gets paid. Um, because I think there's this like sort of misconception that we can offer a higher rate and pocket more commission by giving you a higher rate. That's not the case. And actually, that's how people used to get paid um, pre-2008. But now, um, you know, commissions are basically a percentage of your loan amount. So I get paid the same whether you lock in the 7% rate paying no points or decide to buy your rate down to 6.5%. So never feel like the rate that you're being presented is somehow, you know, being manipulated by the loan officer for their commission. Interesting. Um, so, you know, and on, on the real estate side, like, so my commission is based off the total sale. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and even before, well, depending on whether there's a price reduction or just concessions for, you know, inspection items or that kind of thing, um, that number doesn't really adjust based on that stuff. So. You know, theoretically, I make more if I can get you to spend an extra X dollars on this offer. But, you know, at the end of the day, the difference between that is not really going to make a huge dent in, in the, the small percentage of, of the commission. So um, it's not anything that I'm ever thinking of during a deal, but I can right. see why people might think that we do. Yeah. And I think so much of it's education, right? And when I say trust me, you know, a client could go under contract and I've just presented the 7% rate with no points and then they start actively shopping and they're like, well, I've got two other lenders that are sending me 6.25 and 6.5 and then they end up wasting all this time and getting caught up and I'm like, great, send me those loan estimates. Well, what cost do those rates come with? Right. And why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think people tend to waste a lot of time and shoot themselves in the foot when they start shopping after they go under contract. Yeah. Because if you've built the trust with your lender up front, they're going to be working super hard for you and they're going to get you the lowest rate possible. That's the best fit to save you the most money over the life of your loan. Yeah. So um, I love building that trust up front and then just kind of knowing that I have that commitment because ultimately then, you know, I'm watching the market for you to help you try and time when we lock and the 36 hours you spend calling every lender that you've gotten the number stressful. for. So stressful. So stressful. And yeah. you're going to miss the boat. Right. You're going to end up with a worse rate because number one, you've just upset your lender and you've irritated them and they don't want to work as hard for you. Uh, but number two, you know, that you haven't given them the commitment to go ahead and lock when they think, you know, is the time to get you locked in. So let's talk about those. So we'll call them the shopping pitfalls, mm -hmm. right? So like, what are what's the smoke and mirrors? What what are you know the the less desirables out there that are you know trying to work you? Like they're going to tell you it's a better rate, but you said at what cost? So what are these other costs that come into play that may work against you? Yeah, so every lender has fixed costs, and when you're shopping up front, those are what I would encourage you to get your hands on. You know, essentially we all have like a processing or underwriting fee. And then there's third-party costs that come with all the different reports, such as the appraisal that we need to have done in order to get your loan approved. Yep. Generally, those don't vary by loan amount. So if you get those up front, you can really easily compare a lender side by side. Yeah. What you're then looking for as it relates to the rate that's being presented is what amount of points or discount fees are being charged with that rate. So, you know, for example, I had um, a realtor that I work with often, you know, he was representing his nephew and they sent me a quote that they had been given by Quicken Loans online. It had $50,000 worth of closing costs associated with just the rate buy down. 
And yeah, the amount of time it would have taken them in that loan based on the monthly savings to recoup that 50 grand was like 20 plus years. And that just makes my heart hurt because that is some lender wanting to just present the lowest rate and not have the conversation around, you know, rates have changed. They've gone up since you started looking. Here's where we are today. You can pay these points if you want to, but I wouldn't, you know. So there's just no advice being given in that situation. Someone's just trying to kind of hide behind the numbers. So are there are there any like regulations or guidelines that says to you like you can't throw out these numbers? No, no. It's just a, it's a, it's a box right. to put a number in. Yeah, and keep in mind when you're shopping up front that any lender can put any number on paper because yep. they don't have to be held accountable for locking that in. So more important than the rate you're being quoted prior to going under contract is just really looking at those fees and how does the lender present rates and you know do you appreciate the way that they're kind of presenting these options because then once you go under contract that's when it becomes tangible yeah and you need to be able to digest and I've always felt like it's more important to have the discussion strategically about when we're going to lock in mm-hmm. not who we're going to lock in with exactly yeah. Um, because rates do rise and fall based on day of the week and totally you know what all the chatter is out there which is way more now than it used to be 10 years ago just because of social media and access to information and all that kind of stuff yeah um, one thing that you know is really interesting so after the you know the housing crisis in 2009 we, we see this new form the truth in lending disclosure right mm-hmm. um, and so on this sheet, there's your, like you talked about, the fixed costs that are from the lender. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like the purchase price and all that kind of stuff. But then there's all these third party fees. And what kills me is when I see, you know, I'm talking to clients through and they're like, well, the monthly payment, on, it's the same rate, but the monthly payment on this one is so much less than the other one. And I'm like, well, did they send you a truth and lending disclosure? And you look at that and they have zero in for all these third party costs. Which is like your hazard insurance, your HOA fees, and like, you know, there's a few other ones in there. So if there's zero in there, then that's going to affect your monthly bottom line. Um, What I like about you is that you're always over generous and, and inflate them a little bit so that there's no surprise, but it does confuse them. And they're like, well, why is, why is Lauren's rate so much higher? I'm like, just because she's trying to, you know, save you and, and make sure that you're not surprised by like what your monthly cost is going to go to you afterwards. Yeah. Um, so that like, you know, that's always gone a long way with me to, to understand like you're, you're doing the right thing by these people and trying to show them what it really is versus just getting them, you know, over over the finish line. Yeah, and I always try to kind of steer the conversation away from rate and more towards like monthly payment sensitivity, you know? So what is the goal range for the monthly payment and how do we kind of land in some happy medium where we're meeting that monthly payment goal as well as a down payment goal because depending on the home you end up going under contract on, you know, you may want to reserve more of your cash towards improvements on the home and could potentially absorb a slightly higher monthly payment. And so it's all about the bigger picture more so than just the rate itself and the thing i pride myself on is really being available to my clients so when i put together an initial loan estimate yes i'm kind of estimating your insurance and your taxes as a percentage of the purchase price but then i'm available to you throughout your search to rerun those numbers specific to properties you like so that you go under contract knowing exactly what that monthly payment is going to look like yeah yeah and and when questions some some of the you know the other 
disclosures that I get, it's like, well, why did you put zero in there? And the answer is, well, we don't know what the number is yet. And like, you kind of do. <laughs> you certainly knew what the HOA fees are, and, you know, if there was an HOA and, and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, all the things that drive you crazy, but have people wondering like, where where are they in this big mess of numbers and how do they make a decision? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing, you know, being local, we're very in tune within, you know, a small percentage of what property taxes are going to be as a percentage of the purchase price and what homeowners insurance looks like on a single family versus a condo here in Boulder. Yes. Out-of-state lenders are wildly inaccurate. Um, it's kind of funny to me often to review a loan estimate that clearly comes from someone based out of Texas or Wisconsin because they just, you know, they're living in a different world. Totally. I, I, I've, I've probably told this story on, on the podcast before, but the first house that we bought in Colorado, this is back in 2006, we were trying to make a decision. We're actually standing in the driveway with the broker and we said, so what are the property taxes? And the answer was 2400 And we said, a month? <laughs> and she said, no, I'm coming from New York. And so she said, no, this, that's a year. And, you know, it's pretty much doubled since then. But um, yeah. that was, we were like, Ugh. We'll do it. We'll take it. <laughs> totally. And when we're disclosing, you know, the estimated cash to a closing and everything, so much of that is sensitive to exactly when property taxes are due here in Colorado and, um, you know, what those estimates are. So I'd say that's especially important to get really refined numbers up front. Yeah. I did. I when, when the tax bill came out this year, the projections for mm -hmm. next year, I had a client who was closing and it came out like two days before the closing and they had to readjust the impounds for property taxes based on the new number, which was about 30% higher. You mm -hmm. know, it was, it was a significant number. Not, I mean, not a crazy number, but significant enough to have you go, huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and insurance has changed dramatically as a result of the wildfires we've totally. seen in Colorado. And totally. so, yeah, having the right team working for you. Yeah. Because, All right. So we've we've covered kind of like the you know the dating scenario of how to find a lender. We've talked about like rates and like the different charges, um, different costs of closing. Um, what what else would you throw out there and recommend that just people be aware of in in this world of, as far as like navigation? I think the work up front will make your life so much easier. Um, you know, just having the conversations with your lender, figuring out what your payment sensitivity is. I've seen so many people start to get into negotiations and then get so panicked and overwhelmed by the process. But if you go into it and we have a plan in place for what you're willing to offer as an appraisal gap strategy, you know, how high you're willing to go in terms of your monthly payment, then when you receive that counter offer from the seller, you're totally confident in signing and saying, yep, let's move forward. Yep. And you're not panicked at 1130 at night trying to go, oh my God, can we afford this? You know, um, so much is circumvented by just having these conversations up front, um, not only in being super confident in making your offer and going under contract, but also just really understanding how to win in this market. Because, yeah. you know, despite high rates, we are still seeing multiple offer situations. And when you're poised, you know, with a strategy with John as to, you know, we're going to cover an appraisal gap of X. We're going to limit inspection items to just these. You can really set yourself apart. Even those conversations are challenging. I mean, you know, especially on the like the first time home buyer uh, scenario. But even for people who have been in it before but have never seen market activity like this, if they're moving from somewhere else, as soon as I mention like, so we're going to waive inspection objections. You know, you start to see like one bead of sweat coming down their forehead, and mm -hmm. then we talk about appraisal gap. 
um, and, and other strategic things that we can do to make an offer more appealing in, in a hot market where there are multiple offers. Um, it, it usually doesn't happen the first offer that we write. And they, they, you know, they've got to lose that deal first to mm-hmm. like, okay, so what did you say about doing this that I said I wouldn't do before? Um, because now I think we need, we need to do that. Right. Um, and that, you know, it's fine. I, I will always talk about these strategies. I'll never really, really push unless I feel like I have their confidence and, and I know that they really, really want the property. But, you know, if it's a fairly new relationship and it's, we're out of the gate and, and they're just jumping on the first thing that they see, you know, of course I'm going to offer up these strategies, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to push um, sometimes you just have to see it unfold to, to gain that trust and be like, oh, I see, you know, and, and he did tell us about that. And, you know, but the, the, the beauty of that is and, and for some reason, it always seems to happen. Right. Everything happens for a reason. Um, and so when you have clients that do miss out on something and it feels terrible and you feel bad and, and they really wanted it. Um, but then the next one comes along and they're like, we're so glad that that one didn't happen. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? See that all the time. I don't know. I don't know how it always happens that way, but it, but it kind of does. And it's that confidence, right? Like you just, now you know what you want and you want it more. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're willing to put a little more elbow grease into it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I, what, what else can we talk about? Cause I, this is, I mean, so I didn't know that you guys, the way, the way that commissions are structured on the lending side. Um, I've always kind of been curious, but I've always felt like it's just not my place to ask. I don't know. Yeah, no. It's- so, so it's good to hear that. Um, and it's, it's good to know that like, there's no benefit for you like turning the wrench, um, which is great. No, and yeah, we're never going to steer someone into a product for our own benefit. We're always trying to kind of create that client for life. Um, and you asked earlier about the merger, you know, between Cherry Creek and Guild. Right. Honestly, the thing that has been most valuable to me um, from kind of joining this larger national company is that Guild services a large part of their portfolio. So we are not only funding your loan in-house, we're then actually the one that you're making your payment to every month. Even if it's an outside investor? Um, So there are caveats. Sometimes we're sending them to an outside investor, especially in the jumbo world. Um, But we're servicing probably 90% of our conforming loans. And the client can actually elect um, if they want to be in the service retained portfolio or not. So I can present pricing and say, hey, you know, here's my price if you want Guild to service your loan. Slightly better today if I lock you with X investor, but what's that worth to you? Um, And so we always have that option, but there's just such an ease of process that comes with you apply for your loan with one login, and then that is the same login you use to pay your loan every month. You know it's never going to be transferred post-closing. You're never going to have to deal with being onboarded by some 1-800 kind of fly-by-night loan servicer that you can't get a hold of. You can contact us directly for any changes. And I think the one thing that gets overlooked often is, you know, we use one loan structure to help someone buy the house, but you can always restructure your loan Mm -hmm. post-closing. You know, things such as a recast exist. So if you come into money, you have a large bonus at work one year and you want to put that towards your loan, you can apply that as delayed contribution towards basically the down payment or the principal balance and your loan servicer free of charge will then fully re-amortize your loan for you and decrease your monthly payment over the remaining life of the loan. And those are the things we can easily do for you when we kind of retain that servicing. So even if a loan is sold after the fact, you still remain the servicer if that was the agreement originally? 
if it stays in Guild's portfolio, then we just truly are the ones collecting the payments each month and Got doing it. all of the servicing on that loan. But if it gets sold outside the portfolio, you don't have control. Right. right. And so okay. that's probably a good question to actually ask the lenders you're interviewing is, do you retain servicing on your loans? Because if they don't, you might love the loan officer you had, but when you have an issue making your first payment, they can't help you. They're right. going to direct you to a 1-800 number. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they service their portfolio, they can say, hey, Tina, can you help them log in? You know? Um, there's a lot of benefit, I think, that comes with having someone then watching out for you post-closing because they're going to proactively reach out to you when it's time to refinance. And the point I always make to clients is I might not have the absolute lowest rate you know, up front, but I'm going to save you more over the life of your loan because I'm going to be your partner kind of in this for life. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah. And then and be the first one to reach out to you when interest rates are dipping and say, hey, like, I think you, you should look at a refinance. I mean, you right. know, five years ago, that's all that was happening. Everybody was just refi, refi, refi. Totally. Um, at much lower rates than had previously. Yeah, and things often get overlooked beyond just the rate, right? Someone might buy today with 10% down and have mortgage insurance on their loan. And even if we can refinance them in 24 months into a very similar rate, we might be able to drop their mortgage insurance, and that could still make a couple hundred dollar a month difference. Yeah, or just reappraise if, if values have gone up. Right? Exactly. I mean, how many people out there do you think are paying PMI? on loan products where they're way over the 20%, but nobody's done an appraisal and they're just paying it. Oh gosh, a tremendous amount. Yeah. I think um, just, you know, Tyler, example, like one of the buyers that we helped together, I mean, they put literally $1,000 of their own money into the transaction when they purchased. Um, and then less than a year later, rates had dropped. The home was reappraised. At that point, they had over 20% equity in their home. Beautiful. We totally took off um, you know, mortgage insurance and decreased the monthly payment by $400. Yeah. And if, if you're not sure, you're listening to this and you're not sure, like call one of us because that, it's like, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably paying $250, $300 a month on something that you might not, to be, might not need to be paying. Exactly. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so one thought that I had as we were kind of running through this and it's slipping my mind, but I'm hoping it comes back to me. Oh, so when you close on a loan, it becomes public record. Yeah. So this comes up at closing all the time because we're running through all these papers and then all of a sudden um, we uh, we realize that these the, the buyer may not realize that this loan is being recorded publicly and then out comes all the direct mail, the junk mail. Yeah. Um, so a paper that I still see um, because I've, I've uh, purchased a property recently. So it's $91 now, I think it used to be $81 to get your a copy of your recording, recorded title, um, which you don't need. No. And I would have a copy of the lender would have a copy of the title company would and we'd all give it to you for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's companies out there, multiple companies that will just oh, yeah. say you need to send in ninety one dollars to get a copy of your uh, recorded title, um, which is just insane. Yeah, there's fraud happening all over the place. Um, that's the biggest one. But then you know, but it's not like, fraud; it's legal, which is what really drives me crazy. Right. The, the, so the way you can tell is there will be like a block of legal somewhere on that saying that they're not associated with the lender, even though the like reference number or ref loan reference will say your lender's name at the top because again, that's public record. Yeah. Um, but it's not coming from them. 
And I always encourage clients to send me a picture of anything that they're even contemplating taking action on because, yeah. you know, the name of your lender gets recorded publicly and then you'll start getting all these different calls to action. Like you need to pay for your home warranty or, you know, we need you to do this to set up your account. And it'll say, you know, regarding your Cherry Creek mortgage right. on that front envelope, which looks like it's coming from me, but in yeah. reality it's not. So. And they might even have the logo. Yeah. Absolutely. It won't be a letterhead logo, but it'll be a logo next to the referencing, mm -hmm. you know, and um, yeah, it, frustrating. So, and so on the topic of fraud, wire fraud, yeah. we'll talk about, there was uh, recently an instance of that here in the Compass office um, on a, a deal that I'm somewhat close to, but not necessarily connected to. Um, wire fraud is so real. I've seen it twice. Once where almost, I think $1.2 million went into vapor, into like this holding pattern uh, and then more recently like two hundred thousand um, dollars so basically what happens is a scammer will somehow track the deal and then they'll create an email address that's very similar to either the lender's email address um, or the title company's email address um, which was the case recently and they so they created a, a domain and they added one letter um, to the domain name and then they sent an email saying, okay, now you can wire your funds. And, and unfortunately the buyer did. So the banks are catching them more and more now because everything has to match up, including a comma in an entity name. Um, but then that money is held for 30 to 90 or 60 to 90 days. And it's a big pain in the butt to get it back. Um, Colorado Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, the Secret Service, the two different banks, attorneys on both sides, all involved, costing a fortune to get wow. this money back. So um, yeah. pay attention to your wire fraud disclosures. Definitely. <laughs> um, never accept any wire instructions over email. We always encourage clients, if they're going to send a wire for their closing funds, to then call the title company directly and confirm them verbally. Yeah. You always also have the option of obtaining a cashier's check if you have better peace of mind of just hanging on to that check yourself and walking it to the closing table, that yeah. is an option. And de depending on how the deal is structured, you may have to deposit that a couple days early, but it's just so it clears, but yeah. Um, yeah, wire fraud's real. It's, it's really, really kind of nuts. Yeah, it's a scary world. And that's back to John's point about trust is I think, you know, from my side, I get frustrated when I see clients trying to save themselves a little bit here or there, you know, by just over talking to an overwhelming number of people and sending rate quotes back and forth is like really, you know, how much peace of mind comes from having trusted people on your side, yeah. you know, and John's a resource from the minute you close of like, hey, I need someone to redo my deck or there's water flowing into my basement. Who do I call? You know, yes. um, things don't end at the closing table. So keep that in mind um, when you're shopping lenders as well. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, again, we're, we're talking with Lauren Nigren at Cherry Creek Mortgage and Party Guild here in Boulder. If you have questions for her, feel free to reach out to me and I will make that connection. Happy to. Um, she's on my list. She's, I think, uh, she's definitely on the list on my website um, of mortgage brokers and, or, or lenders, I should say. And so uh, with that, we will say goodbye. But thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me.